Hello, and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And we have a really cool episode lined up today. We are welcoming back Dr. Eric James Stevens, who was a guest of ours in sort of the summer of 2020, a very interesting time for a lot of people. The last time we spoke with Dr. Stevens, he was organizing an event called Hire Higher Ed, and he had just been laid off from his university teaching job and wanted to build a community while he looked for a new career. That August... 2020 event was really successful. In less than two months and for less than $250, he organized a two-day virtual conference with over 280 registered attendees, 50-plus speakers, 19 workshops, and nine panels, all live-streamed to three social media platforms. And it worked, too. He found a new job in ed tech, but he didn't stay for long. A year later, he's on to something new, he left his new career to start his own software company, and he's set on changing higher education. He's joining us from his new home in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dr. Eric James Stevens, welcome back to the Career Builders Podcast. Um, Mike and Lisa, thank you for having me back. And I feel really lucky to be here right now because uh, you were y'all were the, the first podcast that I had that I've ever been on. Um, I've been on a lot since then and, and done other things. And um, I feel like at this turning point in my career again, um, I'm just like really happy to be here and share it with you guys, honestly. Amazing. Well, we're really excited to hear more about all of it and to look back on this year with you. So yeah, super excited. This is what's so fun about career development is that it's not a, just an in the moment kind of thing. We're here for the long game, throwing it right back to Dory Clark's episode that we just had with her. But I mean, about 15 months ago, it was really neat. You reached out, we recorded that conversation. It became episode 42 and it's actually remained a really successful show for us. It's still in our top 10 most downloaded list. Can you kind of, before we jump into the present, I'd love to revisit the past. Can you just remind us of what was going on back then? Yeah, when uh, we were when we spoke last, I was from I was living in my parents' basement in Maryland uh, with my wife and three children. Um, who had the like child at the time was three months. Now he's like you know three months plus that many months is now this many months, fifteen or sixteen I think. Um, and it was really hard. It was really depressing. Um, I was trying to figure out what to do, and so I started the the higher, higher ed event. And it was exhilarating. I was just talk. I had talked to over, I did over a hundred or 150 informational interviews that summer. Um, I had just talked to, and just put myself out there as much as I could. And I, I realized after that event that I never really wanted to go back to higher education again, like I didn't want to go back to academia again, like teaching and that kind of thing. Um, because I could, I could do more to change education outside of higher ed than inside. And that was really empowering. Um, after I did the higher, higher ed event, I continued to do like a weekly series and in that weekly series, like I was not, I was, I was like, you know, like kind of applying to jobs because I had to, um, but I was just trying to establish myself as a person to talk to. Um, I was not applying for any one particular job or anything in, um, I was not doing it in a very smart way. I was doing it in a very manic haphazard way, but for me, it worked. Um, I wanted to put together a panel about um, ed tech. If you have an ed tech company, educational technology, and you want to hire an academic, um, like what should you be? And by the way, that is like a hot topic right now. Like teachers being hired in ed tech, hot topic. I was talking about it with you guys, right? Um, and so, and I've learned by the way, like over the past year, like having a knack for that, like just like kind of seeing like what's like just a little bit ahead. Um, and I've been really been able to develop that and it's been a lot of fun. And so I, I reached out to this guy because um, uh, someone on LinkedIn said, hey, talk to this dude. And so I did. And it turns out he's the CEO of a, a tech company. And the very first thing that he says to me 
on my LinkedIn messages is, hi, I don't connect with recruiters. I said, great, I'm an unemployed <laughs> academic. Like, this is awesome. Like, let's have a chat. Um, and then a few exchanges later, he, he messages me on LinkedIn um, about two weeks later. And he says, hey, like, do you have time for a chat? I said, okay. And so he, he says, um, he says, I'm, I have a pile of work on my desk and I don't want to do it. And so I'm sitting on my deck and I thought of you. And that's what like, that's where like, when you're, when you're going out and you're like trying to find a new career and you're doing these informational interviews, like that's what you want to do. You want to be memorable. So when someone who is in the position to make a decision and they have a problem, they think of you and that's what happened. They mm -hmm. thought of me. And then the next thing he says, here's why I wouldn't hire someone with a PhD. And I said, ouch. <laughs> um, but then I realized he was right. Right. Like academics can be kind of hard people to work with. Um, and I was in a position where I was like, you know, trying to um, be on people's good sides. Like I was trying to be persuasive. And so I said, yeah, you're right. You're totally right. But COVID has changed everything. Now you have people like me who don't want to leave higher ed and I've been forced to. And so now you can hire people like me. And I don't know what you do at your company. You give me three months. I'll be one of your best employees that you have. And he said, interesting. And then three days later, he calls me and he offers me a job. He says, do you know how to do SQL? Nope. It's like, do you know how to do Tableau? Uh-uh. It's like, do you know anything about data? I was like, I wrote about data, but I don't do data. He's like, you can learn fast. You're a learner. Um, and so two wow. weeks later, I, I interviewed, I got the job. Um, and doing SQL and yeah, the, I was, a, uh, I got a job doing as a business data wild. analyst. Um, yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I, I loved not knowing what I was doing. I had no idea. Um, but like two months later, I just, I thought that I had like broken the company on accident. And so I was like <laughs> determined to fix what I thought I had broken and everything just kind of clicked for me. Um, and I, I don't, I won't, I was, I was being confident when I told him I'd be his best employee in three months. Um, I'm not arrogant to think that I was, however, I mean, this is, so this is a $25 million company, annual revenue. Um, they, it's a 20 year history. He bootstrapped the company. Uh, he has over hundred employees and 500 contracted employees. Um, after, I mean, he, after five months, I got, I sat down with my, my boss and he said, um, you've met your 12 month learning goals already. Clearly you're not a junior analyst. You're mm -hmm. a regular. <laughs> like, so here's a promotion. Like, here's a pay bump. Congratulations. Like, good job. The CEO came to me and said, we've never been able to get into higher education before see what you can do. Mm -hmm. And it gave me this like creative, explosive freedom. Um, and it was amazing. And, and I loved it. And then I, but then eventually I realized that it just wasn't really a good fit anymore. That's a good, like, I love that suspense cliff right there. It wasn't a good fit anymore. Trust a guy who taught writing, believe <laughs> us on that. That's a good one. Um, but also just like an amazing rundown on just how to be adaptable, right? Like how to take a really difficult situation, look at it in a pretty sober way and say, what can I do? Your story about, you know, hundred to 150 some odd informational interviews. I have worked with a few people who have done that. And it's, I think the average job seeker or someone who wants to make a significant career change, um, they underestimate sometimes just how much, I won't even call it um, networking, but it's, it's relationship building, connecting, that social legwork of getting yourself moving. It's a great story. I love the way you've put it all together. Um, could, you, could you actually, maybe we talk about this later, but what happened after that in terms of the fit changing? I'll tell you what happened. Um, and I, and, and I love what you just said, honestly, about the relationship part about it. Right. Cause I, I learned like the thing that you just described is, is something I just, I just learned this term today and I love it. It's called relationship equity. Mm. Um, like the idea that like, you know, like when you're starting a business, like what we can talk about, like there's like, you know, there's actual equity that you need to put into the business. There's sweat equity, like the, the work that you put into it. And then there's like this, this thing that I learned about today called relationship equity. 
And that's exactly like, well, I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time was building that, like, like building the relationship equity that you need into a network requires engagement with a network, requires engagement with people. And for all those people who need to go out and do those 100, 150 interviews to get that new job, that's exactly how you need to frame it. You're building equity, the relationship equity, but it is the kind of equity that will have a return on investment. Um, so that was practical, right? Going back to the story, I guess. Uh, so um, I've, I've, I've learned that a lot of people in academia are afraid of hearing that they are overqualified for a position. Here's what this means to be overqualified. It's not an insult. It's a risk assessment. Um, hmm. In fact, it's, it's, it's even a compliment saying like, you're so qualified to do this job that we know you can do it. In fact, we're going to call you overqualified. But to be overqualified means you're going to get bored with this job after a year and you're going to start looking for something different. And that's what happened. It's a risk assessment, right? It costs money to hire people, to train people. They don't want to do it. It costs time. They don't want it. It stops production. They don't, people don't want to do that. So when they say it's, you're overqualified, what they're saying is aim higher than this. Like you should be aiming higher, right? Don't settle for this job. Go one step higher. And it was around August that I just started realizing that that was the position that I was in at the moment. There was some frustrating communication that was happening. Uh, there wasn't as much growth um, as I had anticipated, which I think, you know, to their credit, they didn't anticipate me, right? Like I'm a, um, I work hard um, and I can be difficult to work with sometimes that I, I have, I'm owning. Um, and they could feel it too, right? I started interviewing at other jobs they're might be our competitor. They were offering 30 grand more per year starting out. Another reason I was kind of like looking other places. Um, and then around all this time, all the time that this was happening, I was talking to my friend, Holly Owens, who has the podcast um, called the Ed Up um, Ed Tech um, Experience um, through the Ed Up Net um, Network. And, and I said, I said, hey, I have an idea for you that I think like, I know what the future of a writing program looks like. I know what it is. And if nobody builds it in five years, I'm going to do it. And that's just like, when it kind of hit me, why am I waiting five years to watch someone else build the thing that I know I would be able to build better. And, and in my eyes, better means more ethically, like where we're, we're mm -hmm. asking questions about student privacy, where we're asking questions about the ethical use of big data, which was my expertise for my, my research. Um, conveniently, they um, decided to offer me a severance package because they could see that I was just like looking elsewhere. And they're like, okay, let's see what happens. Um, and I looked at the things that they wanted me to sign, like non-compete and a gag order. Like I couldn't actually talk about what happened between communications the way that I would want to. Um, and I looked at it and I said, my story is, is my future, like the ability to control my story and the ability to control my future is more valuable than six grand. Like, I'm sorry. Um, and I didn't sign it. Um, and I said, thanks. Um, I learned a lot. In fact, uh, two weeks into the job, uh, the CEO, he calls me up um, into, you know, his virtual office and he's like, Hey, how are things going? Um, and I said, like, it's great. And he said, you know, I know we're only going to keep you for like a year or two, but like, you don't need to go get an MBA, just work here for, for a little bit. And that's exactly what I did in my annual review. Um, I was told that I'm not a junior CEO, right. Which is kind of like, it was meant to be like, here's some constructive feedback about how you need to stay in your lane. I took it as, oh, no, 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 I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm not an analyst. I am a CEO. Um, I'm not really CEO right now, right? I'm just like in like trying to like start a company. 
Um, but that's what I'm doing. I, my, my wife and I, we, we bought a home. We, we have, like, it doesn't have a garage, but we have that proverbial garage. Like we're going to, we're going to found a company that is going to revolutionize English departments um, because that revolution's already coming. I want to make sure that it happens as ethically as possible. Very cool. Eric, that was, that was awesome to hear all of that. Yeah, really awesome. And I think that it's great too, that you've stuck to your guns. It sounds like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like through the process of making this career change initially, you actually sort of figured out your value and were able to confidently apply that as you've made these career decisions going forward. It's like you were, you went through this transformation, you went from a caterpillar to a butterfly and you're now ready to spread your wings and fly. Is that a fair assessment? Well, yeah. And it's like making me feel warm and fuzzy because I want to be a butterfly. And I think that that's, I think that, yeah, because, um, and this is like a lot of the, like, cause I do like coaching now and like speaking and that kind of stuff. And I like, I don't really want my identity to be tied to that. Cause like, I'm going to be like doing so much more than that. Like I'm using all that money to seed a company. Right. Um, but like when I'm talking to these people, that's exactly what I'm trying to do is that like, you don't need to worry about transferable skills. You have the skills. What you need to do is translate their value. And academia comes from a completely different, bizarre value system. They value things that it doesn't matter unless it's published. And that's just sad um, that, that we don't have control of our own value because it goes to a committee. Like all the work that I do for years doesn't matter unless it's published. That's wrong. In industry, everything that you did to get that publication or not publication, right? What everything you did has value. In fact, like, it's like, oh, you know how to run a lab? You know how to play with statistics and R? You know how to build a course design? You know how to deliver content? All of those things have value that academics are taught not to value. It's, a, it's an expectation that you do and that you should do with a smile, right? Even though most people are working crazy hours, right? There's an article in The Guardian about how one lecturer is living homeless and her students didn't know about it, right? Um, wow. And yeah, yeah, I think that it's exactly right that like I, I figured out the language that I needed to describe my own story. I, I knew what my story, I knew what my background was. The problem was that I didn't know the language of my audience industry. Once I figured it out. Mm-hmm. I also feel like there's, I just want to kind of point out another piece there for anybody who is changing careers of that experimentation that you've done. Like, I feel like that was such a huge part of you discovering this value. Some people feel like they need to have it right from the beginning, that if you don't know where you're headed, you need to undergo this process to figure out your passion. But it sounds like you were able to find that through just doing a bunch of experiments.
what you're just describing is something that I talk to clients about calling it immersion. Just like if you're learning a language, you want to immerse yourself in the world as much as possible to make it second nature for you. Yes. The point around language just cannot be understated, cannot be overstated, excuse me. The credibility that you have in the eyes of someone who is just kind of getting to know you, it all can come down to how you say things in a conversation. I remember meeting the CEO of my company who looked at my LinkedIn profile while we were on the call, not weeks in advance, like in the moment, and quickly being able to draw lines using language that was relevant between my past experience and what was happening in the company now, what were some of the things that might catch her curiosity to want to learn more. It all comes down to just the phrasing, which like you said, Lisa, is it comes more naturally if you're immersed in it. And if you're not willing to go into that depth, into that new context, it can be really hard to just sort of make up on the spot when you're in that conversation with an employer. So I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, It's a great way of measuring it too, because we often do think that a post is just something very ephemeral in the moment here today, gone tomorrow, the spark comes and goes, but I love what you've just said. It is like this public journal of your expertise and your ability.
Yeah, for sure. I would, I would personally love to know if there are any major steps you took or people that you connected with that made a big difference in your career transition. Would it be, would it be fair to say that people have been sort of the major theme of your transition? It sounds like the so the secret single contact is really everybody. You're you're reminding me of a really great team sports quote that I learned way back in the day, which was the secret to individual success is everybody else. <laughs> I've never said that on the show. I think we should bring that forward. When we talked to you last, you were at a very specific place, like emotionally, mentally. Now you can just tell your energy is completely different. You're in a totally different 
place. For people who are about to undertake this, like, do you remember what it was like feeling the way that you did before? And if so, now that you're looking back on it with 2020 hindsight, what would you say to yourself back then?
That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It's one of the things that I loved about our first conversation and I love about this one too, is the rawness, the realness that just comes out of talking to you. So I just want to acknowledge and, and thank you honestly for everything you just said. Here, here, Eric, we have basically rebuilt the back end of our show. We have four questions that we like to ask of everyone who joins us because you've been on the show before and you've gone through such an amazing transformative time in your life. We'd like to bring those questions back, but with a bit of a different slant. So what would you say is the most fun that you've had during these, the series really of career moves? Totally appreciate that. In what's been such a fast moving time in your life, what felt like the biggest risk that you took? How did it turn out? 
pretty great criteria. Our, our second last question here. Um, what would you say is the best piece of career advice you received as you left academia for industry? Love that. Beautiful metaphor. Amazing. So where can people find out more about you and connect with you and learn about what you're working on? Amazing. Oh, it's been such a pleasure having you back on the show, Eric. I still can easily flash back to the time we first spoke and recorded together. And uh, yeah, the magic just hasn't, it's gotten better. Honestly, it's gotten better. I uh, just wanted to say, we'll, we'll link those in the show notes for anybody who wants to go and take a look at those links. And yeah, just thank you so much again for your, your realness on this show. Awesome. Cool. Amazing. That is a pretty awesome way to call it a week at that for the career builders podcast. Ah, just a great, great opportunity to revisit just an amazing story and hear the next segment of it. And I know that there's another story to be written. It's, it's being written right now. So Eric, maybe we'll be checking in again in another year, who knows, but, um, yeah. Plug a thing. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> amazing. More to learn from. I love it. Oh, let us call it an amazing episode at that. For the Career Builders Podcast, I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Our guest, the one and only Dr. Eric James Stevens. Check him out. He has had a lot going on and he has a lot more that's to come we hope you are well and hope you will join us again in a couple of weeks. Bye for now. Hey, dear listener. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Career Builders Podcast. If you love the show and want to help us spread our message further and reach new listeners, 
would you consider leaving a rating and review of TCBP on Apple Podcasts? Without a doubt, your help would be much appreciated. On behalf of Lisa and myself, thanks. Bye for now.